Welcome everyone to the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And I guarantee we have a really interesting conversation that we're going to have today with Jim McNeil. Jim is the CMO of the world's oldest and largest privately funded fusion energy company. And Jim, you've self-proclaimed that your, your real goal here is about building that brand and the thought leadership behind that. That's a great place to start in terms of maybe explain a little bit more about your background and what fusion energy is. And then that's going to lead into a really great language model AI discussion that we're going to have. Well, thank you, Steve. Um, you know, I started out as, as a software engineer at Lucasfilm. So fusion energy was part of my daily, you know, diet, right? You know, we, in the Star Wars community, you have to have fusion energy. Um, it's been it's been a long time since we've been able to try and, and make it happen on Earth. But you know, I've I've spent you know two decades. Oh, I'm sorry, four decades really in technology, um, as as an entrepreneur, as a developer, as a marketing uh, person, as a CEO, you know, as a as a board member, as a board chair, um, and right now, I at this stage of my career, I get to do the thing I love the most which is to really create content that moves people, you know, that gets people excited, that tells a story and, and, and motivates people to, to, to take action. So that's really the best part of the job. Um, and that's what I'm focused on. So what we have to do to make fusion energy uh, work is not just to build a reactor that puts out more energy than we put into it, but we have a tremendous educational journey ahead of us to get the world to understand that fusion is not fission. You know, you can't have a meltdown in a fusion reactor. Um, our form of fusion does not produce dangerous radioactive waste or dangerous radioactivity. You could put it in the bottom of the Citibank building in New York City and no one would be the wiser or bothered by it. Uh, it could be in the center of New Delhi. It could sit in the desert in California. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be next to a water source. You know, it runs our our reactor runs on boron and hydrogen, and and to run a 500 megawatt plant for a year, you need about 500 pounds of boron. So you could drop 10 years of fuel supply off in the parking lot, and just let things run. So it's uh, to many people it's science fiction, but to us it's science reality. And our job, because we're not currently selling fusion reactors. Our job in marketing is to educate the world about, you know, the promise of fusion and that it can change everything that we're currently looking at today. You know, we have this huge existential threat with climate change that most people have come to, to realize whether they agree on the, on the cause of it. I think they mostly agree that it's happening. And the only thing we can do to reverse it is to pull carbon out of the atmosphere and stop pushing new carbon in. And so fusion energy, if we really get it deployed at scale, has the ability to do both those things. And so you've got such an, uh, a magnificent goal in front of you. And, you know, so we all understand now why building your brand and thought through thought leadership and the content that you're putting out, not only positions you as a leader in the industry, but starts changing the minds of people in the industry and every B2B business at some level we are about changing the perceptions, changing, you know, the preconceived notions that the buyers that we're trying to address have. 
right? Because there's something new, there's something different, there's something unique that we're offering. So what you're talking about isn't all that different than what every B2B company is trying to do. Certainly but not. what I think is very different is your take on content. And I'll put it on two ends of the spectrum. One, the entertainment value of the content that you create. On the other end, your perspective on language model AIs and discovery of content and getting in front of the right people. But can you tell us the story about the documentary that you created in your career and how it got picked up by Netflix and all the big, you know, yeah. streaming companies? Yeah. Because I think it's just, it's a, it's an interesting model of how to approach content creation. I'd love to start there and then kind of move our way into the AI conversation. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a couple of things that are important. Um, not much has changed in marketing when you're at the 30,000 foot level, because what you're supposed to be doing is solving for business outcomes. You know, if your job is to fill a pipeline, then you need to build content that engages people at the point where they are, where they're trying to make a decision about making a purchase, right? Um, in our case, you know, our business outcome is to build a receptive audience so that when your congressman or senator, you know, comes up and says, hey, we're going to put, you know, $3 billion in putting a fusion power plant, you know, you know, down the street from you, your reply is wonderful, fa fantastic. That's great, right? So that's my business outcome. It's to, it's to change hearts and minds. Um, the documentary I did was part of a strategy to get one of the most successful but unknown companies known. Um, this is a company that was about $400 million in revenue. It was a leader in, in service assurance, which is the technology that enables us to know that networks are working properly and how to catch problems before they happen. That company's name is NetScout. Um, I rebranded the company, um, gave it a new tagline, and made the product and the, the mission and the story not about the probes and the monitors and the analytics. I made the story about the internet. And, and it, the story is, you know, the internet is now such a, a significant part of our life and culture and society and economy. If it's not operating, we're all doomed. You know, that's, that's the point we want to get across. And so when you want to talk about, you know, both promise and peril, there's no better documentarian than Werner Herzog. So I went after Werner Herzog and uh, it took me three times to get him to agree to do the deal. Um, and we, we, we co-wrote the documentary. We put it into 10 chapters. We explored a whole bunch of different facets of the internet, both, you know, good and bad. Um, because, you know, every hero's journey needs challenges and trials and tribulations. You know, you can't just have the hero winning all the time, right? right. We had to have problems and, and threats and, and mistakes. And so we, we brought those characters to life, um, but it was in, in true form, uh, a real documentary with, with real people. And uh, we, we produced it. We, we made a 90 minute cut. We submitted it to Sundance. It won a premier status at Sundance. And then uh, Sundance is an amazing place because I think I was up for, I think probably 40 hours negotiating the sale of the documentary. Uh, you know, going to multiple different buyers and meetings and so forth. And instead of skiing, which I was hoping to do, I was out, you know, negotiating the sale of the doc. We sold it to Magnolia and Netflix and Apple. 
um, and then took it to a bunch of other shows. And how does that translate, right? How does that translate into numbers that, you know, CEOs can get excited about? NetScout on average, when, uh, before we rebranded the company, we had about two and a half billion impressions a year. Um, after we, uh, we, we debuted uh, the, the documentary and did all the interviews and got all the, the articles, we had 90 feature articles around the globe, every major newspaper and magazine, you know, from Wired to uh, Fortune and Forbes and LA Times and New York Times, The Guardian, The Telegraph. We got all those things covered even variety for that matter, we went to 25 billion impressions. So a tenfold increase in reach. Um, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> the company NetScout was on the lips of people that never would have talked about it. And I think the greatest achievement there was, uh, I had a very skeptical uh, colleague who was on the product marketing side. He's like, I don't get it. I don't know why we're doing this. Our product's not in the film. We don't even have our logo in the film. It just says NetScout Presents. How is this ever going to work? And then his father called him up and said, hey, I read about your company in the LA Times. Now I understand what you guys do. <laughs> you know, his 80-year-old father now understood what his son was doing. So, um, you know, content that is is authentic and sincere and honest and is not afraid, uh, you know, to expose, you know, both the, the positive and the dark sides of any given situation tends to be more trusted than something that's constantly, you know, kind of optimistic, you know, and Pollyannish. I think is what it comes down to. Well, and the bottom line, one of the one of the many takeaways from that is that thought leadership and getting your company out, the name recognized in an aspirational way, elevates their expertise, elevates their stature, their trust, their authenticity. And in the end, like that guy was in product or the sales team, when they're having conversations, they want to be in a position of coming from a known entity, right? And an entity that has trust, that has authenticity behind it, then they can be an advisor. And salespeople or buyers don't want to be, they don't want to be sold to. They want to be taught. They want to be advised. They want help in making the big decisions that they're making. So I see directly the thought leadership strategy there, what you're doing now. Even your podcasts today have, and we'll put a link to them in the in the um, recording here, have very much an entertainment value to them. And people always talk about that B2B needs to be more like B2C because we're actually reaching out to people that are customer or consumers in all aspects of their life and they're consuming our content. Why wouldn't we treat them that way? Yeah. So well, look, I'm I'm of the mind that if you are privileged enough to get a portion of somebody's time, which, which is a very precious currency. You know, if, if you're invited to stand in front of a room of a hundred or a thousand people and give a speech, it's imperative that you give something of value. And, and to me, that something of value is, is knowledge. And, and it's especially important if you tell them something that they didn't know before. And that's what's really glorious about the fusion space is that you know, bringing clean fusion energy to the planet um, on the surface seems like a no-brainer. Okay, yeah, this is a really good thing. It's carbon-free. It's baseload power. It's always available. We can have as much as we want. Yes, but there are so many other factors that are associated with really, really cheap energy. You know, it's a significant input into total factor productivity 
it has the opportunity to take our global GDP from $100 trillion to $200 trillion. And when you do that, you make the pie bigger for everybody. So it lifts up all kinds of people from poverty. It makes it possible for women who are spending time collecting wood or dung or water you know, to a time where they don't have to do that anymore because they have electric power because it's super cheap. Governments will be able to provide power you know, to anybody that wants it because right now, if you're running a natural gas plant, you're, you're paying 50 cents of your operating dollar on buying fuel. You know, it's 40 to 50 cents, depending on what the market is for, for oil or fuel or gas. In the, in the, uh, the fusion space, it's pennies. Because I could buy 500 pounds of boron, you know, for, for $50, $60. That's a year's worth of boron, right? <laughs> it's 10 million times more energy dense than oil. So people don't know this stuff. And that's why, you know, we have the, the privilege of being able to communicate that. But when you talk about, you know, what's next or, you know, what do I care about in terms of producing compelling content, the thing that I want my content to be able to do is respond to the curiosity of my audience. So when, when you're going to buy something, you generally go to Google and say, okay, you know, what's the best electric vehicle with the greatest range, right? And and if you could have a conversation with my brother-in-law, who is the, the guy that writes all the articles for Microsoft Autos, which is what I do when I'm going to buy a car, I call up Perry and I say, what's hot? What are you driving? He's like, oh, you got to look at Kia. It's awesome. You know, he knows everything, but you don't always get to talk to that guy. So you read his articles and you slog through it. But if you have a generative AI model that's read all of Motor Trend, all of MSN Autos, you know, everything in the space, and you start to have a conversation about the factors that you care about, you don't have any pressure. You don't have anyone asking you what monthly payment do you want? What is your trade in? You don't have any of that crap. You're just talking to a model that's able to channel the answers that you specifically are looking for. And so what makes me think about AI and marketing is that's the experience I want to have. I would love it for you to be able to come to my website, Steve, and say, you know what? I, I really am confused. I don't know what fusion is. Let's start. What's the difference between fission and fusion? You're not embarrassed. You know, mm -hmm. you're talking to a bot, right? But that bot is trained on 340 research papers that could take you way down the quantum physics tunnel if you wanted to go. Plus all the content we've produced for lay people, because I have to communicate at the 100 level, the 300 level and the 400 level, right? And not to mention all of the episodes of Good Clean Energy, which have been transcribed. And so all the experts we talked to about fusion and fission and NRC and whatever, it's all in there. So now you have this really, really rich set of data. My bot will be trained only on fusion-related topics. It's not going to hallucinate answers. It's going to be just in this one particular category. And if I'm the one who's implementing this, and I'm the one who's testing it with my marketing team, and we're answering, asking the right questions, and we're checking for the right answers, and we're starting to build a framework and a structure that consistently performs the way we want, guess what? When, when Google and Bing and all the other search bots out there start crawling this stuff, we're going to be prepared for them in a meaningful way. So I think that it's it's incumbent that that marketing professionals think about how AI is going to be applied in understanding and analyzing their offerings.
And that's one of the things I want to get ahead of. So the takeaway here, let me see if I've got this right, is we're actually writing content, not just for our ICP, right? Our, you know, our persona. We're writing content also for an AI discovery engine, right? Because that is what you did it when we were talking before the recording, you actually just lifted up your iPhone and you just asked Siri, right? About, you know, the cheapest EV vehicle that had the longest range. And she started talking to you and she actually recommended. But yeah, that wasn't Siri. That was personal AI. It's a bot that I have on uh, my phone. Yeah. Okay. But we could do that if you want. Well, but the, the point here is when you say, start saying you're going to not have a conversation with like your brother, but you're going to have a conversation. That conversation is actually being had with a bot, right? But you're able to, with these language models, you're actually able to verbalize your you know, your request and steer and direct and, you know, have a conversation with that bot. And if you're training that bot to do the right kind of things and answer the right conversations, what you're saying is the world of search, which is all going to bot, right? You're going to be interacting with Google in a very different way in the coming year that you're preparing as a marketer, your content to be discovered in the world of these language model AIs. Yeah, exactly. And if you think about the people that are really good at preparing content for search today, um, there's numerous companies out there that create all kinds of alternate pages that do, you know, the five top endpoint security management software, right? The, you know, the top five, you know, electric tricycles and, and their, their, their electric tricycles, number one in every one of those reviews, right? And, and when you go and you look for a product and you search Google for, you know, I need a new cornhole board, you know, whatever, whoever's good at, at the SEO, SEM game is going to be the one that rises to the top. And anybody who's not on the top of the first page doesn't exist. So what happens now when you get into a, a GPT type, you know, chat search for a product, you get to ask things very specifically. You know, I want a cornhole board that has an LED light so I can play it at night and I want it to be waterproof so I can leave it on the lawn when it rains. Now I'm going to get specifically to the product that does that. And, and I'm not going to waste my time. So all the things that we've learned about getting to the top of the Google page, they're going to change. And people are going to benefit because they're going to get, you know, more specific results for the types of searches they're looking for. And if we don't structure our data accordingly, then we're going to get passed over. So what are the pro cons in this for, for the CMO of today, right? Um, I think that there's, there's a healthy debate, um, which, which is worth talking about, about a lot of content creators think they're going to be replaced by a bot. You know, my, my daughter is a writer. She works at Simon and Schuster and she's like, well, I hate AI, you know? And I'm like, have you ever used chat GPT? No, I just hate it. Cause it's going to replace, you know, content creators, it's going to replace writers. And, and I just don't see that to be the case. Right. Um, I think where where AI is going to be a big, big boon for us as marketers is in automating um, operations. So if you think about the work we go into, we put into developing personas and personalized, um, you know, content for those personas at different stages of the buyer's journey, uh, we'll be able to automate that stuff. And so 
the the content creator is still going to need to be creative and figure out what's going to draw people in and get them the information they need. But they're also going to be educated on how that information should be structured so that it's in context, that it's narrow enough because the more narrow your 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 content is, the more likely your content's going to be considered to be a subject matter expert by a chat bot, right? So you want to learn how to structure that data. And the best way to do that is to kind of eat your own cooking, you know, build your own models, feed your own AI LLM and, and test it and ask it questions that you think your customer is going to ask it. And then you can figure out how to structure it properly. That's the, that's the thing we're going through at TAE. Um, and we're exploring a bunch of different choices, but there's going to, for different companies, there's different applications. There's places where you can integrate your five channels, you know, your SMS, your search, your web contacts, your retargeting, your customer service, all this stuff could be part of a common system. So that if it ever does get to a human being, that call that comes to me about Steve looking for an electric tricycle and what's the best buy, it's that call is coming to me in context. You know, I know everything that you've been looking at. I know what your journey's already been. So that's going to change a lot of stuff. And I think it's going to open up numerous opportunities. There's going to be a huge demand for people that can deploy AI in, in, in kind of like micro products. Like this is going to be how I do personalization. I want you to go figure out who this person is, what persona he matches. And then you could envision saying, here's my content library. Now, thinking about all the stuff that Steve is looking for and all the content I have, customize a paragraph for him that meets his criteria and do it automatically. So I could see that happening, right? But I think that we need to embrace it. And, and we shouldn't think about AI any differently than we do any kind of new technology. I don't know anybody who makes a living as an elevator operator. I don't know any switchboard operators. I don't know anyone in a typist pool or a stenographer unless they're in a courtroom. Um, I don't know any VPs of electricity. We used to have those, you know? And so these things come and we automate and we improve. And the, the, the ironic thing that happens, Steve, is, and I, you know, we talked about this before we opened up, you know, the biggest threat that people thought was going to kill jobs was the introduction of the ATM. And it happened in the 70s. And in 1976, there were 31,000 bank branches in the United States. Today, there's about 72,000 bank branches. So how is that possible? Well, the money they saved on automating basic, you know, cash withdrawals and deposits, they were able to open up new branches, which required that they had more staffing. And the staffing that they hired were trained to do more sophisticated things that an ATM could not do, such as open an account, secure a mortgage, sell a CD, you know, things of that nature, right? So you're going to see that across the board. AI is a tool that's basically going to help us do marketing on steroids. So if there was something that you could tell us, all of this that what we're talking about here is different ways that we create and utilize content to be discovered to address the very specific needs of our buyers, right? Tell me in your mind, how important is content to the overall success of an organization, right? You know, 
growth and success overall of the company on a scale of one to 10? One, not important well, at all. 10. Well, well think, think about what we already know. Think about how much the customer knows about the product they're looking to buy before you touch them for the first time. And, and if you're lucky, part of their education includes your product, right? And if you're going to be successful, I guarantee you, part of their education includes your product, yeah. right? So there's so much research and, and thinking and analysis going on out there that we are not privy to, unless, of course, you know, we, we can track some of their, their journeys on the web, um, do some retargeting. Um, and by the way, the best success I ever had at NetScout in, in filling up the funnel was on retargeting, you know, and, and, and following, you know, my, my buyers on their journey and understanding where they are and putting the right content in front of them at the right time. You know, the best time to sell somebody an Audi A8 is when they're looking for an Audi A8, right? Um, and that's what I think AI is going to help us do a lot more of, which is to be much more predictive about when you really do need to pick up the phone and call somebody. You know, I built a system at NetScout uh, for the salespeople where, you know, we, we pushed out a lot of content. We had a lot of drip campaigns. But as soon as a customer would engage with a piece of content and start reviewing it, my sales guy would get alerted. And he'd say, hey, you got to call Steve. He's looking at your stuff. And you get a phone call as you're looking at this deck you know, from Joe, you know, Brown, who says, hey, I understand you're interested in a probe. You know, I'm here to answer any questions you might have. And there's this huge thing going on that you should be aware of. You're receptive to that call because you're already in that mindset of looking at that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is going to help us, you know, be much more productive. Yeah. So if there was one thing that you wanted the audience here of executive marketers, B2B marketers, to kind of take away from everything that we've talked about here, what would you leave us with? Um, I think that for me, you really need to ask yourself, how do you want to be treated as a customer? And, and, and what's missing from the experience that your company is currently providing? And, you know, I get frustrated talking to salespeople that are so busy trying to sell me, they're not taking time to listen. Because when you have a customer who's, who's well-educated, and as we discussed, most of them are, especially the higher dollar value of the product, they, they want to communicate to you what they know. And they want to tell you what they need. And if they don't know the answer to something, they'll ask you that question. And so that whole experience becomes very, very low friction when they're able to get to a level of, of commitment and understanding without any judgment, without any snarky sales talk or pressure, right? That's what I think is really valuable. Now, keep in mind, you know, I'm not selling tennis balls or cars or electric trikes. I'm selling, you know, the hope of a, of a clean energy future. So, you know, my job is a lot different than a lot of your, your listeners. Um, my job is winning hearts and minds. And so it, it, it lends itself to long form content and ultimately to building an, an AI experience where on my site, it's going to be no different than the current search bar that's on my website, except it's going to tell you, ask me anything you want 
and we can talk about it as opposed to search for the latest paper on, you know, proton boron fusion experiments with the National Ignition Facility in Japan, right? It's not going to be that. It's going to be what's the latest news? What's the latest milestone? You know, what's how, uh, you know, what temperature is your plasma operating at? You know, what confinement times have you achieved? You know, it's going to be a much, much different conversation, but it'll be one that's going to be able to communicate with that person at the level they're comfortable with. And that's, that's really the goal for me, because I have to deliver content that can be understood by a high school student and by a PhD. And, and to do that manually is really challenging. I'd rather automate it. Well, Jim, this has just been fantastic. And I, 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 we predicted that we'd get to the end of our time here and we could have gone on for hours. So I'll just, we'll leave it at that. But if anybody has any follow-up questions for you, what's the best way for us to get a hold of you? LinkedIn, is that a good opportunity? Yeah, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's great. And, you know, look at my email is jmcneil at tae.com. McNeil's M-C-N-I-E-L.com. Um, and, uh, tell them to listen to good, clean energy. It's on Spotify and Apple. Fantastic. Well, Jim, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate your insights and sharing with the community. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it.